yeah, we're recording. Hit the record. I got to talk about, I know this podcast is all about you, but I got to share what the fuck happened to me today because it was an absolute disaster of a fucking day. And um, I had like a, like a mental moment today that I have to share because I, I realized after I did it, I wasn't right, but it felt good doing it. So anyways, because of the state of the world, uh, one of my restaurants, I sent the majority of everyone home and I decided to work by myself all week. And Emma, you're you're an angel and a saint. Thank you so much. And um, anyways, I was closing down and I'm deck brushing the floor and I'm doing all the things and I'm fucking shop vacing and all the stuff. So then this little fuck comes onto our patio, right? And we have a rule that if you do not consume anything at the restaurant, you cannot sit at any of the tables and take up my tables. I don't care if we're closed or not. So anyways... My manager goes out and tells him this, and this little fuck says some obscurities to her, and then spits on my table, right? So he spit, this little 25-year-old fuck spits on my table, and then I witness this, and then the kid takes off. So then what do I do? I take off my shoes, because I'm wearing chef shoes, and you cannot run in chef shoes, and I chase him down. So I chased him down. Two are, blocks. Are Will, shoes like this is like Crocs or something? They're Birkenstocks. You want me to? I'll show you. Will get out of here. I know you saw Birkenstocks. You cannot run in these shoes, right? Well, nobody can see them anyway because you don't anyway, want to turn the lights. Right. So, so I fucking I chased the kid down, right? And but he didn't know that he was running towards Ariette. So he was running towards two more of my restaurants. So then my staff sees me running after this kid, and then they fucking stop the kid mid street, right? And Basically, it's like a melee at that point. The kid's on the floor. He's crying. He's like, I'm so sorry. So I make the kid. I, I'm yelling at the kid very loud to go fuck himself and that he's a fucking piece of shit. And I make him walk back to my restaurant and clean my fucking table because he's a little fucking bitch. And I just, I like, I had to do it because I don't understand in today's world how some stupid fuck could think that that shit is okay. I don't get it. Like, how the fuck... Does someone think that spitting on another man's fucking hard-ass work, right? Everything that we work for is okay because you were told that you can't do that because that's not following the fucking rules. He probably never heard that Joaquin said Dominic. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I fucking hate going out in this town sometimes, bro. You, oh. uh, you encounter people like that and it just... Whatever, bro. And then you know what? You're lucky it ended that way. That's great. But, you know, you get some of these idiots that could have turned ugly for... For no fucking reason, because you're absolutely right. If Teco Mepinga wasn't fucking raised right. Welcome to the next episode of Pancom Podcast. Welcome to the Zoom Zoom Room, brought to you by Pancom Podcast. So, uh, on this episode of the podcast, we have a special guest. This is our second uh, Miami Hurricanes Hall of Famer. That we've yeah. had on this podcast. Oh, man. That's so this a- is a big deal. We got Joaquin Gonzalez. And I would tell the people that he said to dominate, but if you've been watching the train wreck that this podcast has already been, you Perfect. know from the video of his T-shirt. So, uh, Joaquin, thank you for uh, for joining. And from here on out, I'm going to step out of the way and let this be an Explorer Love Fest. I got to say, no, Explorer Love Fest. Explorer Love Fest. I... I graduated in 03. What year did you graduate? 
97. So I graduated in 03. I remember, like, so my, my sister graduated in 96. Um, I mean, she knew, like, a lot of uh, Columbus people, the whole, like, so I, I grew up in that whole, like, Explorer Nation thing. So I, I'll never forget, like, that, the fact that there was a Columbus Explorer that won a national title, right, that was playing for UM, that ended up playing in the league, all those things, like, for, for me, it was something that I was like, I mean, fuck, I mean, there's a chance that I could do this now. I'm five foot eight, so there's really not a chance that I could have done it, but <laughs> I believed, and Joaquin Gonzalez made me believe that there was a chance that I could do that shit. So I thank you for that. Yeah, no problem, man. Uh, you know, I, I get to go talk to a lot of kids and stuff like that, and that's part of, actually, I, I really enjoy that part of it because um, I say it all the time, I mean, in terms of, of having a goal in mind, I always dreamt of playing at UM. I, I grew up along my brother, Mario and Lou Cristobal, which were very close to the family. So uh, I got to peek at how their life was uh, playing football at the University of Miami. And obviously being six foot six helped. Uh, but realistically, when I was at Columbus, I was just tall, lanky and goofy. I weighed 220 pounds, uh, you know, soaking wet. Um, but, you know, having that, that goal of wanting to play and wanting to start and actually bringing back UM football to prominence, that was something that, uh, that was just there for the taking. If you were willing to submit and do the hard work and to me, to me, the recipe was easy. I think everybody knows the recipe to success, but it's amazing how much people, aren't willing to sacrifice or aren't willing to put in or give up what they are for what they might become uh, because everybody wants to be now. They want to be successful. Everybody wants, and you could go back and forth talking about this. I mean, to me, the process of being getting to UM and being a shitty team, because when we got there, my retro year, we went five and six, uh, but seeing the growth and seeing guys respect you not because you were a five-star recruit, just because, hey, bro, this guy's a workaholic. I mean, and and you kind of got to enjoy the pain. And you and it kind of sucks now because to a large extent, I no longer play and I have all this pain in my body and shit like that. But I tell my wife all the time, it's like you get so accustomed to living in pain and living with that shit that it's kind of like fucking normal. Like a, a really good day without pain, you're like, I go tarado. But, you know, it, <laughs> It was, it was, to me, it was when I talked to these kids, it's like, you could do it. I mean, you can make anything happen. It's truly, it truly is. I mean, and, and, you know, I have now one of my, one of my dear friends, his daughter is, is playing volleyball and she's like, you know, do you have any tips for recruiting? I'm like, right, you know, pick the teams that you, what, don't just go out there like a shotgun. Like, who do you really want to play volleyball for? You know, do you have like a top school or top five school? Find out who the head coach is, find Become memorable. Talk to them. Send them a letter. You know, write to them directly. Be different. Everybody today wants to, oh, I have a Huddle account. I have a Zoom account. I'm on social media. Man, you know, just being yourself and being humble and just committing to the process is such an easy recipe. Mm. But, and I'll tell you what, I mean, I it sounds easier said than done, but it, we even become... You know, as we get older, we no longer have the same energy that we did before. If you're not going to do it when you're 16, 17 years old, like I tell my son, which is 13, right now is when you got to bust your ass. You got to run 21 tens, 
then freaking go and play basketball, go rajarte una paja, and then fucking get up and go play basketball again, and do the same shit because when the fuck are you gonna have the energy? Trust me, I don't have the energy. My energy is in fucking smoking a cigar and fucking reliving my fucking past because I already put in the fucking work. I already told them I'm, I'm enjoying the fucking fruits of my labor that you know that I did fucking 20 years ago. Amen to that. I mean, it's. I, I was gonna say just just for the sake of everybody being on the same page because I don't know how much Joaquin knows about. You, it would be good to kind of talk about your your paths, sure, so that people know about Joaquin and are brought up to speed. And also, uh, I mean, I don't know whether Joaquin is was aware that you also played ball at Columbus and in college. Yeah, no. So, I mean, I'm not six foot six, so I'm five eight. But I played. I didn't actually get on the football field at Columbus till my senior year, and that was a year that they they took uh, seven wins away from us. That year, it was it was Jason's uh, senior year too, and I mean, I loved football. I still love football, um, but it was like uh, football in essence kind of saved me because that was a very like fucked up time in my life, you know. And um, because of a certain few people, you know, like a Lin Force, which I'm sure you know Lin Force, and um, a couple other coaches that were there that are still there. Um, they kind of believed in me to get to the next level. Now I didn't go to UM. I went to a small division three school, but I needed an out out of Miami. Right. And you know, cause like so many family things were fucked up and you know, it was like 10 people living in one house. And I was like, I just need to get the fuck out of here. So I went to a place called Averett university and I actually was a four year letterman, uh, two year all conference. And, um, we ended up winning our, um, the title for our district or division, which is different than like how it does at UM. Um, but I have a ring. It's not as nice as yours, but I do have a ring. And, um, uh. and it was, it just like, it just proves that no matter how many times people can tell you that you're not going to make it because of whatever limitations you may have is if you work hard enough, you will achieve, you know, and that's what kind of led me to working in the kitchen because that whole like team camaraderie and that team atmosphere and that work ethic spilled over into the kitchen. Right. So like, I, and it, I, I attribute all of that to football. Right. And that like that, that team, that team atmosphere, like the best kitchens I've ever worked in and the best food I've ever cooked is when everyone that's in the kitchen is on the same page. And it's just like the same thing in, in football. Right. So when I got to college, it was my school's like fifth year of their program and we went six and four. And then every year we uh, got better and better and we went eight and two. We ended up winning the title, but like it was just one of those things that you, you believe in something that's greater than just what people have told you you are. Right. And I think that in today's world, and we've talked about this so many times on the podcast and, and the world has changed dramatically over the last six months. Right. So like the idea of social media and things of that nature have changed or I guess the conversation has changed. But in essence, it's like what you mentioned, which is, you know, I have this account. I have that. I have this many followers. I run my 40 in this time. What about like, have you watched film? Have you, do you understand your position? Do you really understand what technique means? Do you understand all those things to kids now? And I think just in general in the world are so lost, you know? And I think it goes back to the fact that People may have told you or they told me that you couldn't do it, right? And they told me that I would never um, 
I would never be able to achieve the certain things that I wanted to set out to achieve. Like our company logo is a pig with a parachute because my eighth grade teacher told me that I would only achieve something when pigs fly. So I made a pig fly in my own way, you know? And I think that that, that kind of like that tone, it goes for so many things. And football sets that tone so well because you learn how to, one, take direction from a coach and two, work within other people to achieve a goal. You know, and it's so lost in today's world. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, brother, it, it's funny because that's kind of what plagues UM and has plagued UM for a while now. You know, being so close to the program. Um, let's face it, I, humanity today is lazy. There's so much shit at our beck and call. Without moving from here, I could order food, I could order shit, I could have everything catered to me. It's almost like that. Uh, I forget what movie, kids movie, where the guy just is fat and he's sitting on a floating chair and everything gets done for him. Yeah. But, uh, you know, to that extent, I mean, your recruiting has become lazy. They just go for the five-star recruits or whatever. Man, for every five-star recruit, you better have a bunch of, like, no-name, two-stars, one-stars that are balls-out hard workers that are going to set the work ethic level at such a pace and that what was, that's what was beautiful of my time at UM, which is, again, I did get recruited by a bunch of schools, but my dream was to play at UM. Given the circumstances at UM from the Pell Grant scandal, they didn't have scholarships to give. Being able to go there and what they did to bring the, 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 the people that they brought, I mean, Ed Reed was not a highly touted recruit. The only reason Ed Reed gets uh, recruited to go to UM is because they were recruiting Reggie Wayne, which was a highly touted recruit in Louisiana. The only game that Reggie Wayne got shut out in was when he played against Ed Reed. And Ed Reed was playing corner. They brought him from safety to corner to cover Reggie. And when um, Chuck Pagano uh, and CJ, which uh, uh, CJ Johnson, which were in charge of that area recruiting-wise, they're like, who is this kid? And that's how Ed Reed ends up at UM. The same thing for a bunch of guys, Santana Moss, undersized. I mean, you name it. All of these guys. So the offensive line, Brian McKenney, not highly touted. I mean, how can you not be highly touted in today's world at six foot eight or six foot nine? But whatever, he just wasn't. He was a Juco guy, Martin Bibla, Brett Romberg, all these guys that just didn't really come from much. But when we got together, we understood and we kind of pushed ourselves to be to be great. And then five years, four years later, everybody's talking about where the hell did these guys come from? I mean, right. we we got into a system, believed in our leader, which was Butch Davis at the time, which for good, bad, or worse, whatever you think of him, to me, he's one of the greatest coaches for college that has ever existed because what he's able, he is the nicest guy and the biggest dick you will ever meet, all wrapped into one. And if that, if I had learned anything in my life, and this is this is – whether you're playing football, running a restaurant, or just trying to succeed in life, and and I don't want you to confuse what I'm about to say with being a hypocrite because it's not about being a hypocrite, but it's almost like being a bullfighter. And somebody told me this a very long time ago, and they told me, well, look at a bullfighter. He dresses like a girl. He prances around you know, the ring, and he walks on his tippy toes, but at the end of it all, he kills the bull. What that meant to me is like, listen, you have to be many things to many people. And you got to, like you mentioned, work within the people that you have and be able to get the best and the most out of everybody. Not everybody's going to be the same as you. 
not everybody's going to care as much as you do. Because that's why el ojo del amo en cuenta caballo, when it's your shit, it's the most important thing in the world. Mm-hmm. You got to be able to translate that. And if it's Nick that you're trying to get the best out of Nick, well, what makes Nick tick? What makes this guy tick? How can I pull, and as a leader, and I think that's why I quickly became a leader of that group, and so did Ed Reed, Dan Morgan, all these guys. I mean, there hasn't been a lot of guys at UM that have been, you know, team captains for two years, uh, two-time All-American. And, and not to boast my own record or whatever, but I didn't want that. That shit was there because I was just doing what I needed to do. And I wanted to win as bad as anything, bro. As, as bad as I wanted to breathe. I wanted to be successful for many reasons. I wanted to say that I was a winner just so I could have a chick. So I could, you know, be successful. I could, whatever you want to call it. But that wasn't what drove me to work. I worked because I wanted to work. Mm. So to me, like I told you, the recipe for me is easy. Uh, and it, it baffles me how many people are just not willing to put in the fucking work. Wow. This is good. Nick, what are we smoking? This episode is brought to you by Aganorsa Leaf. They're the makers of excellent cigars that stand out because of the distinctive flavors of their own Corojo 99 and Criollo 98 seeds cultivated by Cuban agronomists in Jalapa and Esteli, Nicaragua. Mike, what are we smoking right now? Wow. This is... Oh, you took your band off. Aganorsa <laughs> Leaf Nicaragua, which... So uh, we recently came into possession of several different Aganorsa cigars. We did. But this is the first time that we smoke this particular blend together. Yeah, I like it. I like it too. And I think that it pairs... I would smoke it again. I think it pairs well with like something heavy like this. Like the pizza we just like ate. Like the pizza we just ate? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, for, for those of you who are novice smokers, you don't want to go like some light Connecticut thing. Right. You know, if you're going to eat something super heavy like a big steak or I've been a smoking Chicago the, pizza. I've the Connecticut, the Connecticut you gave me. Right. Yeah, yeah. Which they're delicious. So there's that. Yeah. Uh, so the Aganor portfolio of cigars includes, aside from what we're smoking right now, JFR, JFR Lunatic, Guardian of the Farm, and Casa Fernandez Cigars. Uh, Aganorsa, which was founded by Eduardo Fernandez, fun fact, co-founder of Telepizza, the uh, European-born pizza chain, mm. has manufacturing in Esteli, Nicaragua, and Miami, where they make, among other blends, the Casa Fernandez Miami Aniversario. It's Aganorsa's ultra-premium line. Big fan of that cigar as well. Blended for optimal performance in specific sizes, including a box-pressed Lancero. Aniversario is both bunched and rolled by hand in Miami by master Cuban rollers using only that Aganorsa leaf tobacco that we mentioned earlier, including Aganorsa's own Corojo 99 wrapper. The cigars are complex, rich, and full-bodied. You like my cigar? Full-bodied. Tremendo body. Oh, baby. <laughs> Tremendo body. That's a great name for a cigar. Tremendo body. Tremendo body. Uh, perfect for the experienced smoker to celebrate those special moments in life, like, for instance, your first deep dish or stuffed Chicago pizza. Exactly. Only Great Leaf makes great cigars. Aganorsa Leaf. Aganorsa Leaf. Aganorsa Leaf. I hear it's more effective if you say it three times. Uh, it's a good leaf. <laughs> right. I wonder if, Mike, you talked a little bit about how football affects the way you view kitchens. So just since we already went there, Joaquin, talk a bit about what you're doing now and how those lessons from football have applied in what you do today. Well, yeah, I mean, when I was done playing football, I, my family's business is the tire business, so I was lucky enough. I always knew that 
you know, I got my master's at UM. I was very smart in terms of getting my education. When I got to the NFL, you know, to me, it was a dream come true, but I was very smart with my money as well. Um, I wasn't one of those guys that went out there and, you know, bought an Escalade and, you know, bought a multi-million dollar home. Did I want to? Hell yeah, I wanted to. But once again, discipline, I was like, you know what? I got to be smart with my money today so the day of tomorrow I could have something. And that's what I did when I was done with football. I always knew that I was going to come back into the family business and help my brother run the tire company. We own a wholesale tire shop and we've done phenomenal. And right now we have, um, you know, over 120 team members. Uh, and, and I say team members because that's one of the things that you'll never uh, you'll never hear any of us say that, hey, you work for me or you're an employee. That shit doesn't work with me. Like, I, I, it bothers me. We're colleagues. We work together. We're part of the same team. So the just like you mentioned, Michael, in terms of that, the lessons that you learned in football, how they translate it to the kitchen, that's mm-hmm. the same thing. I mean, we're we're only successful because of the people that we have. We sell the same product that anybody else does. Uh, we may do things a little bit different, and uh, but at the end of the day, it really boils down to our people and how our people do their job and how they treat our customers. And uh, to me, that's I think that a lot of our company culture is built a- around that atmosphere um, and, and uh, like a team atmosphere, and people really feel part of, of something bigger than themselves, like you mentioned. Let me ask you, I, I, I've always had this very interesting thought process only because it was something that I never achieved. So I wonder how it, it works to the psyche of like a football player. So when you went to, when you were at UM and, you know, the idea was bringing the Hurricanes back to prominence. And I mean, you guys did. I mean, you essentially what you guys achieved is what Miami wants to achieve now. Right. So we're still trying to work ourselves to that. But my point is, when you went to the league, right, and you were working for a paycheck, how did that change? How did that change your mentality? How did that change your, like, you know, when I cook now, I would say we have five locations, we have three restaurants, and we have two bars. And, you know, my original restaurant to me is like a, it's like a passionate thing. It's like part of like, you've taken a, portion of my being and you've put it on a plate and you've talked and and it's like my expressionary tale to people right and then when you talk about the other restaurants it's like i understand it's a business you know what i'm saying so when you talk about football in essence like when you went from again playing at um to playing for the colts like how did that change you're you're gaining a paycheck you know what i'm saying but you still want to win you know what i mean yeah, absolutely. I think that was a big struggle in, in, in my life was that transition. Um, I I never went to UM thinking I wanted to go to the NFL. That was maybe, you know, a, a, a distant goal of mine uh, because I had such an uphill battle when I got to UM as a red shirt. Uh, I was six foot six, maybe by the time I got to actually reported, I was probably like 245. So I redshirted my first year and work my way up and you know academics came to play because the two got the two tackles that were in front of me i was third string going into my redshirt freshman year both of them became academically ineligible for the first two games and here are is this walk-on uh you know offensive lineman that uh gets thrusted into the right tackle spot 
and 49 starts later. That's fucking amazing, dude. Like, that is so fucking amazing. But I was ready for it. So, I, you know, I, I worked my ass off. By the time I registered freshman year, I was probably weighing about, like, 280. So I gained probably, like, about 40 to 45 pounds in a year. And, you know, being ready for that moment, you know, it teaches you so much and not letting go of that starting position. Because one of the things that you have had at that time, there was so much talent that I walked every day out onto that field fearing that I was going to lose my spot. So it was like balls to the wall. I mean, they're your friends, but I mean, it was fights and it was nasty. And it, it wasn't awesome. it wasn't today's world of, you know, one, two a day, every four days. No, bro. Butch Davis, two a days were, <laughs> you know. Butch Davis, and we were laughing about this. We have our, our own line uh, text group, and I'm going to get back to answering your question when I made to the NFL because I struggled with that, Michael. But we were laughing today because Butch Davis had this innate ability uh, to make short periods of time feel like if they were forever. And I'll never forget, he would always, whenever he would get excited, he would get like a high-pitched voice. He'd be like, shoot, oh, oh. You know, you get all, like, whatever. <laughs> so our first practice end was from 8 to 11 o'clock in the morning. So by the time we actually got getting ready for practice, it was like 8.25, 8.30. But we were out there at 8, like, doing one-on-one -on -one stuff with the O-line or whatever. When our practice was done at 11, he's like, all right, call it up. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and give you uh, the late morning off. We're going to give you noon off. And we're going to give you the early afternoon off. And we're going to get back here at 2.30 for me. You're like, fuck. He made it feel like if you were fucking going away for the fucking weekend, he just gave you fucking three hours off. So, um, you know, you have to love football really to fucking go through that because you really go through hell. And when you talk about the Marines and all these people, hell week, I mean, for, for me, it was hell. Two days was amazing. And it, it just really built you up for that. And you had to really love football. When I got to the NFL, I still had that same passion, but that passion kept on dying and dying the more I saw the business side of it. Mm. The more I saw that a guy that was drafted in front of you that had more money pegged to his signing bonus or whatnot had sure. more opportunities because somebody in the front office's name was pegged to him and they needed him to succeed because they had staked you know, a spot for him or they, bought, they got him in free agency or whatever may be the case. My wife tells a great story because I was already dating my wife when I got, I, I didn't get married until my second year of the league, but my first ever game in Cleveland Brown Stadium, my whole family comes up. I end up starting that game. And bro, my wife is there in like the coochie cutter brown shorts that say Browns on her ass with the Gonzalez jersey with little brownie, little tattoo eyeliner things in her freaking eyes. Like, you know, typical cheerleader. My husband's are. My boyfriend is playing. Typical, right? But when the game is over, they had like a family section. And I walk out and I'm going to meet my family after whatever. And I see my wife and my wife is like looking at me kind of weird. I'm like, oh, what's up? She goes, I'm never coming dressed like this to a game. I'm like, why? When I panned the room where all the family was, all the wives, it was like Gucci, Louis Vuitton. Everybody was dressed like if they were going to fucking live, brother. Right. And, and that was a small little, like, an experience that happened that told me that we're not in Kansas anymore. You know what I'm saying? This isn't, this isn't for the love of the game. There's money at stake here. And then there was little situations that happened, you know, on the business side of it that just – it goes killing the fire of that competitive spirit 
for the average player. And that's what I was in the NFL. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I was a fucking badass. I wasn't. Listen, I outkicked my coverage. The fact that I got to the NFL was purely based on my hard work. It wasn't because of talent. Because talent like mine, yeah. a bunch of fucking people had it. But I was just willing to work for it. I was willing to bust my ass. I didn't have vacations. When everybody was, the season was over, I would stay in Cleveland, work my ass off. And that's how I ended up starting my second and third year. And I got to play against uh, Michael Strahan the year that he, you know, was all world and got the sack record. And when he played against me, he got, look, zero sacks. Why? Because I busted my ass that week in practice. I studied so much film. That was the first time I ever used Excel. I, I wrote Excel and I had my wife breaking down film. And I told her, I want you, and I got to tell, whenever he would have his up foot back and his right hand down, I knew that he was coming with a forklift move. And the first time that that whole entire scenario happened in the game, and I, I knew exactly what I needed to do to beat it, I did it, he did it, and I beat him. I was like, oh, that's it, locked down. And it was fucking over. So that game alone is what got me my probably my contract at Indianapolis and where I made my most money was that. But it's amazing how those little things – But Throughout my career in the NFL, that fire of the love of the game died slowly. Unfortunately, it did. It's it's interesting because, like, I feel now, you know, when um, now that I've been removed from, I mean, I only played college ball, but now that I've been removed for so long, and then I, I went into my professional career, like, going from being just a chef to being a chef owner, like you learn the business side of things so much more and then things become numbers, right? And it, it becomes a totally different ball game, you know? And it's like, I, I always, I'll always reference my, my first restaurant the most because it's like my child and everything there for me is like, it's a very passionate thing, but everything else is numbers and business, you know? And it's like, you lose that fire little by little and, and it, and it just kind of like, and I love it and I still love every part of it. And I love like what restaurants to me represent, but it still loses a little bit of its essence. And it's the same thing with football, right? Like I remember when, when I played college ball and listen, when you play division three ball, you there, like those kids, when I played ball that had this faint idea that they were going to make it to the league, like, I was like, listen, man, you're at the, this is the bottom of the barrel, my man. Like, this is, we're not going any lower than this. NAIA, like, they, they, they barely even have a field. So, you know, um, the only guy I played against that actually made it to the league and made a, a name for himself was Pierre Garcon. And that guy was, that guy against us had 270 yards receiving. Like, it's, those are, those are fucking Madden numbers, my man. Like, that shit doesn't even make any sense, you know? And he was playing against our best corner, you know? I played against Ahmad Brooks, too, when he was in, in Juco. And, like, the guy was, like, jumping over the fucking O-line. Like, the guy was crushing people, you know what I'm saying? So, it, it's, like, you see it. And 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 from the outside, I, I always feel like uh, pro sports is kind of like this telenovela for, for grown-ass men. You know what I mean? Because they're living this life of, like, they're they're just trying to... Uh, fill the void with what's happening in pro sports but like when you uh when you actually like talk to someone and and i i'm so much more like enamored when i talk to ed like ed played a different position than i understand played safety like i'm a d tackle so talking to an offensive tackle like 
there's so much more that happens in the trenches that people don't understand, you know? And it's like, you could be a five-star recruit, but I'll still eat your lunch because I outworked you all week in practice. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And, and I, I'll never forget, like, in high school, uh, when we were at Columbus, I played against, against a bunch of five-star guys, you know? And I ate their lunch. Like, I fucking, I crushed them. They, they were not getting to my linebackers. They were not touching anybody in, in the secondary because... I was going to fucking crush them all day. And my 40 time sucked and I was 5'8". But if you were a guy like Zach Thomas that watched film for hours upon hours upon hours and it goes back to that baseline of work ethic, you know, like if you really want something, you're going to work your ass off till you get there, you know. But it just loses so much of that, like the soul of things once you add money to the equation, you know, like. You went to UM, you wanted to bring it back to prominence. Then you went to the league, and it was like, it just changed so much. You know what I'm saying? It, it's weird, right? It's, I mean, it, it, it is. And, like, I told you, that fire dies. One of the things that kept me in the league was the fact that I didn't have this. You look at me in my, uh, as a player, and I didn't have this enormous amount of talent. But what I was able to do is I was able to take the talent that I did have, my long arms, my long torso, and the frame, and really work at my craft and really put in the work ethic. Like you said, just bust your ass. And one of the things I was so used to fighting for my job at UM that I really didn't feel comfortable in my position until my junior year at UM because I had worked at my craft and I had the same old line coach, which was Archeo. I had some great assistants, uh, Rod Holder, Mario Cristobal, guys that really taught me technique. Adelante. And really taught me, you know, how to become, how to make my job effortless. Because the more skilled you get, the more room for error you have in terms of being able to make up ground if you take the wrong step or if you make the wrong read or whatever may be the case. So when I got to the NFL, for me, it was almost like being, you know, a red shirt once again at UM because I was fighting. You know, I was a seventh round draft pick. I was fighting for a spot in the 53 man roster. Listen, brother, I was never cut and I always made the active roster. That to me is a freaking win win. And the only way I did that was because I went out every practice. And brother, when the whistle blew or when they said set hut, I was a rolling ball of butcher knives. I was a fucking dick. I was an asshole. And they knew that I was not going to fucking stop. And they fucking called me crazy, bro. They really did. They were like, what the fuck? And I'm like, I got to fucking be like this all the time because I don't have, I'm not a five-star guy. I just, I'm not six foot eight, fucking 340 pounds, and I can loaf. So when they say fucking run a 110, you better, oh, we got to make it in 18 seconds. In my mind, I was like, you got to shave two seconds off. You got to make them in 16. I got a coach has to say, how can we not fucking keep this guy, bro? This guy, even if he doesn't fucking play, he's going to make us fucking better. Because if everybody tries to match his effort and his intensity, we got to keep him. So you got to make those decisions specifically in the in the NFL and in business. You got to become indispensable. You got to be able to do what you do so good, so good that people recognize. Not because you're telling them that you're good. No, you don't say shit. You just fucking look down, blinders, fucking do your thing. Don't fucking worry about anybody else. Do what you're supposed to do. 
And that was instilled for me by my dad. My, I'm fortunate enough. My brother is also a Columbus Explorer, 1986, and 10 years older than me. And he was just, again, a guy that instilled work ethic and just looked down and just fucking keep going, keep going, keep going. And to me, that was what kept me in the league. But all of these little things that happened was just like, fuck it. They were disappointments, you know? They were like, you know, everybody likes to hear about Tom Brady, Jerry Rice, Steve Young, these guys that played for 10, 15 years. And yeah, I'm sure that it gets to a point when they've made so much money that that love for the game, that they're playing just to win a championship, really does come back because that's all they have left to play for. But the vast majority of the NFL, for all the guys that you know that last forever, you have a million and one guys that walk in through the front door and are walking out the back that you never hear of. And those guys are busting their ass to make mm -hmm. the team. They don't fucking care if they win a championship. They're yeah. trying to get that fucking week one paycheck. Is it, because it's a nice paycheck. Is it only because I'm uh, not enough of a football guy that this is the first time I'm hearing rolling ball of butcher knives? No, but that's a good – I love that term. I usually say I am a bull in a china shop, but I like a rolling ball of butcher knives also. I'm, I'm going to use that again. I <laughs> So you gotta, you gotta do it, brother. You gotta fucking submit to the process, man. I I think. Um, let me ask you one question. In in no, just I'm, I have lots of questions, but in in all the time playing ball, who was the one DN you had the hardest time with? The one defensive end that I had the hardest time against, man. Um, You know, that I played against, I would probably tell you that it was Michael Strahan. He was as much talent as, his, as he was engine. So he had the talent, and he was a guy that you had to battle from whistle to whistle. Not like most guys that, you know, they shoot their first move. If you lock it down, just that's it. You know, the play could, be, could keep going for another two seconds, but that's it. Uh, I would say Michael Strahan, but... Uh, you know, I had a, a in practice against Jerome McDougal at oh, UM. Yeah. Those were epic battles that I would go against him, and we made each other really good. Um, when I got to Cleveland, he didn't pan to be much in, in the league, but I went against Courtney Brown pretty much every day in practice, which he was a Penn State guy. And I played yeah. against him when, when, uh, when we lost actually to Penn State my sophomore year here. Um, but uh, and then when he I got a, to Indianapolis, was he a first round guy, Courtney Brown? I think he was a first pick overall. Or yeah, I think he was a top five guy. Yeah, yeah. But he didn't pan. He didn't pan out to be that guy. He didn't pan out. He was riddled with injuries. He was just too lean. Right. He didn't have enough fat on his body. But and then the other guy, when I got to Indy, when I left Cleveland, that I got signed in free agency by Indianapolis. It's like uh, Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis. Man, Man those practices freaking suck. Dwight Freeney, I always talk shit about Dwight Freeney because I wore the same number. So, like, Dwight Freeney was a fucking legend, you know? That was, they played they played on the same line, Mathis and Freeney, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, those guys were were tough to block. I, I, let's, let's pivot here for the people that don't like sports because we're, we're very sports heavy. I feel like Lebetard is going to be scared. We're going to take his platform because we're talking about only sports. Let's talk about life right now. I know that, um, so after the league, 
entire business, family business. Let's talk about the last like six months, right? I know the last six months for me have fucking sucked. Tell me about the last six months for you and the business and life and how things are going. Uh, life is good, bro. We're healthy. That's all we can really count on these days. Uh, it's been a fun last six months because, uh, uh, we've been building a dream home for the last maybe about two and a half years. And we finally got our CEO and we've been living in our new home now for like about three weeks. So that's, uh, yeah, over the last six months, uh, you know, coming to the property and making sure shit is done right. Uh, so I've spent a lot of time doing that, um, writing a lot of fucking checks. (laughs) <laughs> which I don't like, but, uh, you know, life is good right now. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I walked away from the game and I could still walk uh, fairly well enough. And, uh, you know, I got a 13-year-old boy and a 12-year-old uh, daughter that are both big time into sports, not because I want to. Uh, they, they just, you know, my son plays football. He's, he's smart, so he's a quarterback. Uh, and my Smart ones would be a kicker, no? I think the smartest ones would be kickers. Yeah, tell me about it. But he's a little vain. But uh, he's thirteen and he's thirteen and he's six foot tall. And my daughter's twelve and she's five eleven. So I, def- I definitely know that they're my kids. Uh, my wife is five foot three. So thank thank the Lord that they got my uh, my hygiene. But um, no, life is good, man. Just uh, you know, my whole family's down here. My parents are still around. So. Life has been good, bro. Just managing the business through this has been very tough in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, keeping everybody. And we've been fortunate enough that we've been able to keep everybody on staff. I mean, we're we're considered an essential business. So working through the different protocols and how we're doing just today, we two of our members got diagnosed positive. So having to, you know, rearrange schedules and it's just, you know, it's a different world we live in today. And managing that besides the regular business side of things, it's been uh, it's been very, very, very interesting. A large portion of my business is uh, purchasing tires from overseas, uh, predominantly Thailand, Vietnam, Taiwan. Uh, so I do get a lot of time to travel, obviously not now, but going out there. I really enjoy what I do. I mean, it, it's it's totally removed from football other than the you know, the fact of the team atmosphere were at the company, but, uh, but being able to travel to different places and experience cultures and, you know, negotiate with different people from uh, around the world. That's, I really enjoy that portion. And I'm, I'm never shy to talk and I'm a very personable guy. So I, I feel that I, you know, that I actually excel when, you know, meeting new clients or meeting new vendors. And I, you know, I've been put in a position to be able to take advantage of that. Uh, and, and use that to, to my advantage. So, Interesting. I, I find it, um, I always find it fascinating right now, like the way that the world is working and how the new normal affects everyone a little bit different. Like, obviously, my industry is a complete fucking shit show, right? But then other industries are kind of like, I wouldn't say normal or steadfast. They're just kind of like, um, there's bumps in the road, but they're not as turbulent, you know, and, uh, you know, for us, we went through this whole situation of just sending all of our staffs to get tested and the whole nine and how we handle staffing and how we handle the whole thing. And, you know, that's why I was, I chased a kid down three blocks today because I was, I was actually working the fry station at our coffee shop. 
But it's like uh, I, I find it interesting because the how how this has all affected the world, it affects everyone differently, right? But in essence, it affects us all the same, you know, like in our day to day lives. But our business could be different. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and managing that and and the new normal, which everybody talks about, is it's kind of weird, man, to see everybody walking around with masks and. You know, it, it's funny. I obviously the level of of awareness in terms of washing your hands and yeah. and just taking care of yourself. I mean, that's something to me that is like crazy. How much? I mean, if you're really paying attention to this and you're really worried for your safety and that of your family, I think we all feel invincible to a certain extent. I I, I don't think I've crossed the age yet where I'm like I feel. Oh, I got to take care of myself. I do. I work out and I do things. But in terms of I still feel that I could do pretty much anything, you know, physically demanding. I mean, just last night I was watching with my wife some show on uh, I don't even know. I think it's on Discovery Channel called Everest and Beyond. And my wife is like, oh, man, these poor guys. I'm like, man, that would be pretty cool to scale Everest. I, I know I can't do it, but I know that if I really wanted to, I know what it would take. Like, I, you know, you just got to fucking work hard and work your ass off to get there. I mean, don't get me wrong. That, that doesn't mean that I'm going to scale Everest. But if I put my mind to it, guarantee you, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that I wouldn't be able to get there. And, Michael, just just seeing you now and, and how successful you've been, and I mean, you have the same mindset. Oh. I mean, if whatever, you, I, whatever you put your mind to, you're going to get it done. I was actually going to say, I saw that you box, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I saw that. So a, a part of my like um, kind of like um, life change, I actually I went from 340 to now I'm at 190. And part of that change was boxing, right? And like what? Oh, man, it is the fucking best, right? But it makes you feel like and I think when you when you when you play football and you play in the trenches, like you feel invincible also. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> I was I my playing weight when I was in college was like 265. Right. So, I mean, that whole like I mean, it's fucking five dudes versus four dudes. And it's like everyone averages 240 to 310. Like, right. it's a fucking you're it's balls to the wall. Like, you're just going fucking at it. And at that point, you're like, I mean, you're if, if you. Yes, refill. Yes. Um, you're the best. You feel like it's this feeling of like being invincible and just fucking like, I, I don't know. And boxing, when I went through my uh, my kind of like life change or whatever you will call it, it was a huge part of that because I kind of felt the same. You know, when I start and especially when I started boxing other people and I wasn't just like training technical. So like. I don't know. I, I I do feel like sports and business life depends how you look at them. They go hand in hand. You know what I'm saying? Like that whole that um, kind of that attitude you bring to either the field or to boxing or whatever it is, however old you are, to a business essence is kind of like the same thing. You know what I'm saying? Like I know that right now my goal every day because the food and beverage world is like it's chaotic right it's not 
kind of like yours, like everyone needs tires. Not everyone needs to eat my foie gras dish ever, you know, <laughs> but I know that I'm going to battle this bitch out until we make it to the other side. And I know that I'm going to work to that point till we get there. And I think that's like that mindset comes from playing sports. Like it comes from being matched up against like me. I was matched up against people your size and I had to win. If I didn't win, I was losing and losing was not an option. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I usually want, when I interview people, let me ask you this. When you interview people, do you ask them if they play team sports or not? Uh, that is a question that I ask. Absolutely. Do you judge them differently depending on how they answer? Um, yeah. You know, I, to me, when I, you know, I'm, when I interview people, I'm like the is the easiest interviewer. Like I really am because to me, it's how people present themselves and how assertive they are. And I do that with everything. I'll, I'll tell you something that which how I judge people, which is, you know, I, I I sold my old house, and as I was selling, I was getting all these calls from these realtors, and I would get a call from like somebody. I'd be like, hi, I'm like, I'm you know like. Well, if you need help selling your house, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me, bro? You better fucking put on your fucking pants. And then I would get a fucking call from somebody and be like, hey, my name is Joe. I've sold fucking 10 fucking houses in your neighborhood. And the average price is fucking this, that. I'd be like, bro, this guy's got his fucking game on. You know what I'm saying? You could quickly tell. And whether they're full of shit or not, a lot of it is in your presentation. And it's, you know, for 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 business so many people make little importance of first impressions and whether you're talking about love or whatever, we pretty much size people up within the first 10 seconds of meeting them uh, just by their presence. And just, and you, when you're in the room with somebody that in other words, that you could tell people that could command an audience that could command the room, not because they're egomaniacs or they're tyrants, no, 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 just by the way they carry themselves and how sure they are of themselves. And that's one thing that I don't know how to teach that because I, I have two young kids and confidence is something that, you know, yeah, you earn it and experience teaches you. But to a certain level, you have to you. It's hard to bring that innate in you. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's so easy. Like I, you know. All my friends ask me, like, what the fuck I want to do. And it's, if I don't give direction, it's like we won't fucking do something. There's very little of my group of friends that just say, like, if I'm the one that has to say, hey, we're going to fucking, let, let, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, they may mention something, but if I, if I don't tag along and take the fucking bull by the horns, nothing's going to fucking get done. And that doesn't mean that I'm, that I'm a fucking bad. It has nothing to do with that. Just, you know, certain people just fucking command fucking the room and, other people, some people are born to be leaders. Others are just born to be fucking followers. Being a leader is, yeah, there's a lot more responsibility, but the gravy is so much fucking better. This is a, a question for, for both of you. Because uh, when you're talking, so for example, I, I stopped playing team sports, like maybe middle school, if that. Okay. Uh, but I think I think what, what team sports have in common with like that and being in the military the, the thing that I connect those two things with is 
you know, people tend to talk about it in terms of like, you know, drive and motivation. But I think that the thing that separates that is that there are stakes, right? It's, it's one of those experiences people have where there's a very real possibility that you're going to lose. Uh, whereas like if you had a hobby or you were really into community service, like there's no L column for the key club. Uh, so, sorry, I muted Mike because I know you get an echo when we yeah. do this. So there's no like loss column when you're in the key club. That says different things about you, but you haven't had to deal with stakes, right? Right. Uh, like I've had other experiences where there was, you know, like a, a possibility of like real failure. And that's kind of what I hear when I hear you guys talk about. So the question is for both of you in that interview process, what are some like unusual experiences that people have come in and told you about that you thought, oh, I relate to that because I get that from playing sports, even though you're not talking about sports. Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I, I really look at people and what they do. Like I really, one of the questions that I ask all the time in interviews is like, so what do you do for fun? Like, like what, where, what's your release? Like when you're not trying to look for a job, you're just hanging out. I mean, do you watch TV? Like, and a lot of people are shy to tell you what they do. Like I just, want to know because what you're into also says a lot about you right so you know and you know i one of our top purchasing people uh one of the things that uh, that caused called my attention to her in specific was that she was in the peace corps and she you know she left college and she went and did all these missions and i'm like what a selfless act in terms of you know very accomplished person somebody that could have gone right into business and started making money, but decided that she needed to have this dream of hers fulfilled. And that to me goes like, it, it, it relates back to Art Kehoe, which was the O-line coach at UM. I'll never forget, because since I was such a fucking pain in the ass and I was trying to make the team in every single thing that we did, whether it was a meeting, I wanted to answer the questions, whether it was the field or whatever. He goes, man, I don't care what drives you as long as you're driven. And I think that I look for that in a lot of people, even my friends and my friendships. I think that I, I have a lot of friends. I have, I'm fortunate enough to say that I have some very good ones. And, you know, I think at this age in my life, I'm not looking for new friends, you know, because as you get older, I think you're, you're already set with the people that, you know, that are, in your, and it's hard to, uh, you know, to make a, a very good friend when you're already in your forties and your fifties. That's just true just because of circumstances or whatever may be the case. But, you know, being around guys that are are in your same boat or are fighting your same fight and, you know, into the same things that you are into. And not this is not a question that you guys have asked me, but what's the biggest thing that I miss from football is the team, the, you know, the guys. The fact that, yeah, winning and playing football is great, but it's, there's so many hours where you're not doing that, where you're preparing, or you're just going to get a bite to eat, or you're just hanging out in some Hoboke town and freaking for 48 hours or whatever may be the case. And that experience with the same, with the people on the same bus as you going in the same direction, trying to achieve the same goal, man, whether it's playing a sport or if you're trying to achieve, you know, trying to save somebody or you're trying to do a mission, I mean, that really says about you because every everybody wants to be part of something, right? Yeah. I think we we long for as humans to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Some people right. just don't know what they want to be a part of, and right. that's that's the that's the biggest answer you need or the biggest question you need to answer 
in life is like what 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 is it that I really want? And I asked myself that when I left the league. I mean, yeah, I had everything set up for me to go back into the family business, but I truly asked myself, do I really want to do it? And I and I did. I, I otherwise I wouldn't have fucking done it. I mean, I had the money to do whatever the fuck I wanted. So it wasn't like if I was just, oh, I'm here because I had no other options. I got my master's. I made plenty of contacts. I could have done anything that I wanted to. But in that respect, I really, I, I was committed to something. And, and finding that commitment, finding what you really want to throw yourself into, not half-assed, but throw yourself into fully and, you know, just do whatever you need to do to get it done. I think that says a lot about people. I, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned like that, that camaraderie around uh, people and that like, so I would say it's probably like eight months ago, maybe it's, it's got to be almost a year ago. I made a trip up to uh, Charleston and then I, from Charleston, uh, I went up to Raleigh, Durham and where I went to college was in Danville, Virginia, which is like a really small podunk town that I don't recommend anyone going to. But <laughs> basically, the, the moral of that was when I was in Raleigh, Durham, visiting a friend of mine, one of my like best friends ever, um, his name was Nick Teague, the guy who kind of like took me under his wing when I moved to Virginia, I knew nobody, like zero people, and... Um, like Nick kind of he really he adopted me as like a brother to him, you know, and uh, Nick, he ended up joining the army and whatever. So he was in Fayetteville. So like I drove from Raleigh, Durham, or I'm sorry, I drove from Charleston to Fayetteville just to go visit him. And like that, I mean, I hadn't seen Nick, man, fuck, it, it's been over 10 years but it was like that feeling of like family again, you know, like me and Nick had spent, I mean, four years. And then he ended up being like, um, I forgot, uh, a TA on the team afterwards. And like, he just, he coached me to be a better football player, you know? And it was just like, uh, when, when we saw each other and, and we talked or whatever, it was, it was this incredible feeling of family. You know, and I feel like once you leave that team sport aspect, you know, and when we when we those four years that we played together and, you know, we struggled together and that whole thing, you know, it was a whole it was a different experience. Like you learn how to work within a team and how to get to a common goal. And it's like everyone's got to work the same like you have to learn how to work as hard, if not harder than everyone around you. Right. And that affects you for your entire life, you know? And I think that spilled over, you know, I remember after my senior year, I got invited to a couple like arena league tryouts or whatever. And I was like, you know, like it's time to just let it go. Right. It's time to move on. I was not a good student. I was actually a fucking atrocious student. I was not a good student. I like I got kicked out of college three times and they got me back in three times because I was a terrible student and like it was just time to move on. Like what was next, you know, but that work ethic and that idea of like family 
and like what you said, like that being around the squad, you know, and like being around people like-minded individuals. I think that's what I miss the most. I think that's the key term, right? That like-minded individuals, you know, and in the kitchen for me, it's so hard to find because everyone is like, okay, my paycheck, which I understand I get a hundred percent, but I've never been into this for the paycheck. And I guess that's a flaw, right? Because, you know, you got to plan for the future and so on and so forth. I, I, you know, like kind of like you guys trying to win the national title for me, I feel like I'm still fighting that fight every day, but it's so much more political and hazy and shady and things, right? But that's what we're working towards. So to find those like-minded individuals that all want to sit around the table and talk about the same things, it's so difficult, you know? So when, when I went to go see him nine months ago, and I mean, this, this dude, we actually, um, I mean, like, that time in Virginia, I mean, born and raised in Miami, right? Like, Cuban-American, you know, growing up with that pastelitos and croquetas culture, like, going to a different state that is completely fucking different. This guy completely took care of me, right? Like, he was like, this is my boy. You fuck with him, I will fucking crush you. It was something that I'll never forget. So to see him again and, and like the whole thing, and then I, I remember it, it really bled over to to business, right? And, and it's so difficult to, to equate that to like how we are as business people. Like you care about someone's livelihood, you know, and you care about their everyday life. It's just, it's interesting because when you play sports for so long, right, uh, for you it was longer than it was for me, but it's still like you think about it every day, like that team camaraderie, that team aspect, that that struggle as it was because, like Nick said, failure is not an option, right? So I've been through through so many services that were a failure, Right. But not that many games that were a failure because I tell my my cooks this every day and they don't sometimes they don't understand it. And sometimes they do. Every day we're getting ready for a title game. Every day we're getting ready for a Super Bowl, whether you're serving 10 people, 100 people, 500 people. It doesn't matter. You come at it with the same tenacity and that same thought like I will not fail today. I will not lose today, and if I lose today, I will be better tomorrow. That inherent ideology is not the same for everybody. I, I wonder, because you, you brought up this guy taking you under his wing and the whole thing. Uh, for whatever reason, that brought to mind an interview that I saw with uh, with Shaquille O'Neal recently. Where, Shaq! With Shaq. Uh, where, I don't know, maybe you've seen the interview. He talks about when he was with the Lakers uh, and... The first, uh, when he's initially playing with Mark Madsen, who nobody remembers Mark Madsen. Who the fuck is that? <laughs> so Mark Madsen, I think might have even played center. Uh, and he is, he's a Mormon and he looks like it. Uh, <laughs> so, but the story is that Shaquille O'Neal sees Mark Madsen. He's like, this guy's a really good dude. He doesn't want to do all the crazy pro athlete shit we're doing. Uh, and I'm going to shield him from all that. I'm going to make sure nobody fucks with him because he doesn't want to, like, you know, I don't know, do blow or go to the crazy parties because he's a Mormon and he's being very Mormon about it. 
but he actually takes Mark Madsen out and buys him a Suburban and a few suits because he's like, you got to at least like look like you're part of the club. And he sort of like became Mark Madsen's like be a cool athlete mentor. Uh, anyway, this is all a segue to the question of uh, both of you have been in positions where you have a role in like shaping, not just being a part of a team, but now shaping the culture of a team. So the question is for Joaquin, from your time in the NFL, I wonder whether there are things that you look back on and you think, like, those were things that I didn't like about that culture and that would benefit from change, whatever that might be. Well, I think that, you know, from from the time at UM, there was a culture change when I got there. I mean, we were... When I got there and I was redshirted, we were five and six, and the attitude and the work ethic that was there baffled me. Uh, you know, and obviously Butch Davis had been there two years before, and you could see the change, but you could see the struggle between the upperclassmen and the guys that were not buying into the culture, and you could see the clash of my group of guys uh, and guys that were that came in in my era that did buy into the culture and they were like, you know, I, I say this all the time is I'm not down with that fuck shit. And that all comes down with from like Eddie, Reggie and Santana. It's like, you know, it, it, it ain't about you, man. This isn't about you. And, you know, being able to form that and be, and take people under your wing. I think that when you are thrust into a position of leadership, if you're willing to accept it, I think the best leaders are the ones that are willing to roll up their sleeves and get it done. Because the respect that you that is earned by putting in the work, I mean, you can't buy that type of respect. And I think that in, even in today's life, and Nick, you know, you know Red Enrique, he's a guy that, you know, he was coaching baseball. And he was doing, like, private lessons. And, you know, Red is a kid to me. He's still – he's married now. and uh, But to me, Red is the perfect example of somebody that's not even in my football life, but somebody that I saw so much potential in this kid. This is this is all coming as a shock to Mike, who's only met Red a couple times. I am, I am flabbergasted by this statement about this person, but I welcome it. But to me, it was, you know, this kid had so much potential and he had all this energy and it just wasn't, to me, it wasn't, he needed focus and direction and he was willing to listen and willing to take advice. And a lot of times, you know, being able to be that for somebody, because you look at him today and I mean, this is a successful guy that, that wasn't, you know, the tire business was not in his, in his life. I mean, and. And where he is today of where he was, you know, six, seven years ago when he first came, you know, into my stratosphere or whatever, it's great to see. And it's a sense of pride. And whether he's still with us or not, I mean, it's just, the, you know, the, you like to see that and be able to impart your knowledge on people. And I'm fortunate enough that I've had, you know, my brother's 10 years older than me, my dad, I'm, you know, I'm fortunate that those guys are around and I had a great head start. But I had guys when I got to UM, Carlos Callejas, John Abreu. When I got to the uh, NFL, I had Ryan Tucker, which was the right tackle for Cleveland. And, I mean, all these guys took me under their wing, and I took what was best of them. You know, and, and I, I, was, I was able to 
you know, and, and Michael, you referenced this uh, earlier in the conversation, which was you, you kind of see how everybody is. And if you're smart enough, you're able to take the best things out of everybody and For be sure. like, oh, I, you know, I could improve if I could do that better. He could improve if he could do this better. If he's willing to accept that, great. If he's not, well, as long as you're able to, t- to, to, to take what you need and make yourself better, then those are the things that you need to be looking out for. And I think that, you know, you know, at the end of this, whether you do it on your own or you assemble a team that gets there, I mean, it's that sometimes there's much more pride in letting somebody else take the win. I don't know yeah. if that makes sense to you or not. And, and sure. it's a very, it's a very selfless thing to do, but I, I, I really don't, care about the accolades man i if we end up fucking wait if we're hoisting the trophy at the end of the game i don't care if i caught the pass or you did i mean i'm you know what it's it's all gravy and and you know that that's the beauty of sports and that's the beauty of forget about sports anybody that's been successful in life in terms of putting a business together or or setting out a goal and and getting things done i mean it's just you know, the, the, the transfer of knowledge between the people that you meet along the way and what you're able to, to take. My brother says this all the time, and it's so true. I'll leave you, not leave you, but I'll tell you two things that, I, that my brother says all the time that are so true. Number one is everybody teaches me something. Everybody. Oh, that is. Everybody teaches you something. So if, you're not with, if you don't know what those things are, open your eyes because people are teaching you stuff, whether they're teaching you something about them or whatever may be the case. That's one thing that's always true. And then the other one is when somebody fucks you, I mean, don't get upset. I mean, obviously you're going to get upset, but if, if, if somebody, you know, fucks you for a hundred bucks, okay, bro, that guy was worth a hundred bucks to you. It costs you a hundred bucks to learn that lesson. The Bronx tale. Yeah. Move forward. That, that's it. There, I mean, there's nothing you could do. Remove them from your life and go on your way in the path that you need to fucking go. And those two things to me, I mean, I, I circle back on just those two frames of reference right there because to me, that's how I live my life. I'm like, I'm, I, I meet people every day and I try to be as good as I can in terms of learning stuff. And then at the same time, I give people the benefit of the doubt until they tell me otherwise. I, I think it, it's very important what you said. And I try to, and you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm young, so I still have a, a fuck ton of things to learn in life. And I think that understanding that we have a lot of things to learn is part of the process, right? Everyone who thinks they know it all, they have already lost the game, right? But in I, I'm, I'm in this strange opportunity to kind of like mold leaders, right? And what I tell everyone is, you need to look at your team and you need to put them in positions to succeed, right? So this person is good at X, put them in this position to be successful, right? As a manager, leader, coach, whatever it is, you put them in that position. When you are a chef, manager, whatever it may be, that's part of your job. Your job isn't to just cook food, right? And I think it's like that for any business. Put them in a position to be successful. Help them nurture that success. 
and then their success, in essence, is your success. And I think sometimes people lose sight of that because they look at themselves as number one. And really, you're just uh, you're part of the process. You're part of the whole. And sadly, I think people lose sight of that. And I don't know. I, I think that's just to kind of like round out what we're talking about. Well, I, I think that, Michael, absolutely, I, I agree with you. And at the same time, you know, being a leader sometimes and having other people do the work, one of the things that I've learned, and I didn't learn this playing football, I learned this in my professional career in the tire business and managing and being the president of, uh, of this current company. Um, and one of the things that I've learned while in that position is – there's a, you know, people do things in different ways and it's, you know, the best analogy I could tell you right now is like, if, if you and I leave from my house to go to the airport, I may take the Palmetto and get off on, you know, 8th street and then go to Lejeune and get to the airport that way. You may take 826 to 836. There's a million ways to get to the airport. That's right. We have to be there by nine. As long as you know that we got to be there by nine and you get there by nine, and you consistently get there by nine, at the end of it all, do I really care how you got there? Yes, part of it, yes, that doesn't mean that you let people roam or whatever, but you got to give people the ability to not only to succeed, but you also have to give them the ability to think on their own and to be able to, you know, you don't want to give them the answers, even though you may know them, and you may at first have to give them the answers, but you want people that think on themselves and, 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 you know, that think on their feet, people that could solve problems. And that's hard as a leader. And it's hard when, you know, I feel that I'm obviously much more mature today than I was, you know, yesterday and 10 years ago and 15 years ago. But part of that maturity comes from allowing people to develop and allowing people to kind of, you know, do it their way in a certain, in a certain respect in terms of, Hey, this is what we need to get done and having that flexibility and having the trust in that person is obviously important. I, I think that the, to just finish that point, let them get to that end goal on their own, but also allowing them to fail and learn from that failure is pivotal to everyone's success. Like I have failed countless times. I feel like I've failed today. I've failed so many times and I've learned from that failure countless times and I will continue to learn from my failures every day because learning from a failure in essence is a success, you know? Anyways, we got to round this out. I got to take a leak before we round this out. I'm sorry. Just give me 35 We're going to take seconds. a timeout then. Can't you hold it like till the bell rings or something? No, it was the start of class. You can't keep girls from going to the bathroom. A state law, you can't keep a girl from going. I understand you need to go to the bathroom, but not only... Is it disrespectful for you to walk out of class the way you did and get in trouble with the teacher? Then the barge in on me is disrespectful too. I should be able to have 10 minutes by myself to eat lunch. Well, that's the way I felt. I should have five minutes to use the bathroom. Well, you know what? Now you're gonna have 90 minutes to yourself after school. Because I went with what my heart said to do because I had that's to go, I walked out. That's exactly right. You know, sometimes you have to use your head as well as your heart. I'll try to be more patient in the future, but if I have to go, I'm gonna go. No teacher stops me. Like, I basically do what I wanna do. All right, so so we're gonna go into our uh, our parting recommendations 
to round out the episode. This is where everybody recommends a thing that they did, I wanna... saw, ate, watched. You relax. I'm going to give mine first. And my recommendation is very simple. I actually sent you, Mike, a couple of these videos recently. It's a YouTube channel uh, of a guy named Bill Wurtz. Bill, obviously B-I-L-L, Wurtz, W-U-R-T-Z. Uh, and it is a channel loaded with very trippy, weird, uh, but I think very funny uh, songs and videos, as well as uh, a really, really incredibly well-done video uh, that summarizes all of the history of Japan in 10 minutes. Uh, and it was fascinating to watch. So Bill Wirtz, if you want like super trippy songs and also the history of Japan, that's where you need to go. So Mike, I'm handing it off to you. I need a lighter, first of all. Second of all, I, I have no recommendations. I'm going to drink this very fast and I'm probably going to have another one. And then I'll call it a night after that. Oh, I know, I know. That's because you're an angel. <laughs> I just, I need to preface this by... Um, like, in my development as a football player, you have no idea how pivotal you were, and I thank you so many times for that. And I said it like, I'm I'm not six foot six. I'm five eight. I ran a five million forty. Like I, I was not an athlete at all whatsoever. And I thank you for just the motivation to help me believe that I could and I did. And I, I never made it to the league, and that was never my plan. But all the things I achieved were because of motivation from people like yourself, and I thank you for that. Thank you, bro. I appreciate that. It means a lot. Thank you, Michael. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy because I, I, like, um, I remember fucking – I graduated 2003. So, like, I remember looking back and saying, like, man – you know, as long as you work hard enough and you do these certain things, you can achieve them because people like yourself did. And other like there's there's a list, you know, I wore 93 because of Trace Armstrong and that guy, you know, like he was a, he was a fucking that guy was a savage. He had a motor like a fucking truck. But, you know, like he wasn't physically better than anybody else. He just fucking made it happen because he outworked everybody. So. I appreciate that, and I thank you for that. So well, I got a couple. I got a couple plugs for you. Oh, plug away, sir. So I'm gonna plug. I'm gonna give you some. I'm gonna drop some knowledge uh, on different and uh, weird things. Number one, uh, I may have tried this, or maybe I heard it. That's for up to you to figure this out. Uh, but the best condiment to jerk off with is mayonnaise, um, and if you're willing to. Add a teaspoon of Cool Whip to the mayonnaise mixture. <laughs> After your session, you will have a silky shaft with a sweet flavor left on it, just in case you get lucky later on that night to get a blowjob, and then you will give a gift to a lucky gal. So keep that in the back of your mind in case anything ever pops up. Uh, if you're ever, you know, looking at the refrigerator late at night, those lonely nights, uh, keep an eye out for the mayonnaise. Uh, I didn't see that coming at all. It's so good though. <laughs> you may want to throw it in the microwave for like about 10 seconds. So I heard this is what they told me. Uh, not too hot, but, uh, cool whip is the key. Cool whip is the key. Cause it's the gift that keeps on giving. 
But uh, in terms of uh, plugs, if you need tires, uh, one of our private label brands that we're investing a lot of money, and it's a fun brand. It's called Cosmo Tires. Check us out on Instagram. We got an unbelievable feed. We got some really cool graphics. If you're driving out uh, by I-95, uh, by the Dade store, uh, which my family's an investor in, in Dade, um, you'll see a, a really cool wall that we've had there for, I think, a little bit over a year with some really cool uh, uh, graphics in terms of the brand. But, it, you know, some of our, our models, uh, it's all funny model names. We have one called Mucho Macho, which is our bestseller. Uh, you know, just some, some cool stuff. So Cosmo Tires is one of them. And the other recommendation that I have is a movie that I was a part of, uh, and my brother actually produced it, um, which is called Vando. It's about uh, graffiti. And That's Fred. Fred, didn't Fred, wasn't Fred, uh, yeah, Fred a part of that? Absolutely. Yeah, the Croqueta King of Miami, absolutely. The Croqueta King of Miami! I love it. This is the best. So That's the art, the art of my anus. <laughs> the art of my anus. <laughs> the art of my anus, exactly. You know, like... I, I got to tell you, I'm not like a huge car guy, but I um, six months ago or so, like I had this bucket list thing. I always wanted a classic car. So I said, fuck it. I'm just going to do it. Right. I bought a 61 Cadillac Series 62 and I love my car and it's been in the shop for six months, but I still love it to the end of me. So I just bought new tires for it. And I learned so much about this whole world in the last like six months, how much money I dropped on these fucking tires, <laughs> these beautiful fucking four inch white walls. I just bought for this fucking Cadillac, but God damn, they look good. They look real, real Coker fucking tires. Nice. Coker tire. That's right. Coker tire, not Cosmo tire. Don't sleep on Cosmo tire, but Coker tire is nice. <laughs> They're the only ones that make it. They're the ones that have the license to be able to do the old school cars. Uh, oh, really? That's like a license thing. Yeah, they're actually owned by Goodyear. Oh, yeah. Look at that. See, you learn Check something new out. every day. Look at that. Absolutely. So, my so if you ever need tires, give me a ring. No. <laughs> I don't have any, like, shameless plugs. Like, please... Go eat at your local restaurants. I mean, that's my only shameless plug. You know, uh, sadly, we decided to pause uh, service at Nave. We're only doing takeout and delivery for the time being. Chugs is live and kicking, but uh, will close on August 3rd to start its remodel to hopefully open in January. Uh, we'll be releasing some video stuff about that soon. Ariette. Uh, which is uh, how I referenced the little engine that could is open for outside dining right now. Uh, you know, following all the proper protocols and such. Um, you know, I was I was told today to not um, go so heavy in onto the mayors of the city uh, because of whatever, because of political things. But I, I can't help to mention the fact that when you decide to go on national TV and to kind of like uh, put a negative light on your city in which you are responsible for, right? You're partly responsible for the well-being of that city and the decisions made in that city um, and kind of like the negative 
kind of like kind of like just things that are happening there and saying that you are holier art than now uh i i can't seem to get along with that i can't seem to agree with that and what i mean is by someone going on national tv saying miami is a fucking mess and you are part of that mess i am sorry i cannot agree with you you sir are part of the fucking problem i'll leave it at that Okay, very, so uh, as you can see, Joaquin, that is uh, Mike's idea of a recommendation. Uh, <laughs> Cosmo uh, Tires, that's my recommendation. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll leave you with this one, which is, you know, everybody knows, obviously, Joaquin said dominate. And, uh, that's right. These shirts are not for sale. I kind of made them just for my family. Um, I, You know, so a little bit ago, a while ago, I've had this dream to create a uh, nonprofit, and the nonprofit's name is called Joaquin Said Dominate. And what I want to do, and and part of uh, what I'm doing with it, is to create a scholarship fund. And the scholarship fund will be uh, something that hopefully will live in perpetuity. Uh, it's not up and running yet, just because my daily life is consumed with business right now. But I have some people on board that hopefully will make this happen over the next year. Uh, and the whole thought process is, is to create a scholarship fund uh, that'll go and be awarded to a student of Hispanic descent in Miami-Dade um, that, you know, plays a sport. That's pretty much the only prerequisite. Uh, it doesn't have to be football. It could be any sport. Uh, and they will get a scholarship. A uh, scholarship will be awarded every year. And the whole uh, the whole premise of it is to, you know, uh, gather enough funds for it to be able to support itself, and that's something that it's in my uh, it's in my view, and it's something that I probably want to focus when I'm done with the tire business, just really focus on growing that and uh, having something to leave back uh, to the community. Oh, if if we can help in that way, I mean, Ariet, my hospitality group, any way that we can help with that kind of stuff. You let us know, and we're there. The, the cause will be coming soon, my man. Love it. Love it. That all right, Nick, so, do all do all the producer things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to wrap this thing up, uh, especially because we want to leave some meat on the bones, because when Joaquin is able to come over here yes. and you know join us in person for that foie gras that nobody eats and <laughs> all that other fun stuff, uh, and, you know, uh, I don't know. I was going to try to work in a reference to that mayonnaise tip. I like to cook, so next time that we can get together, uh, let's do it in the kitchen. Yeah, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready for that all day. Whenever you're ready, I'm down. Mike, you could come to the house and you could uh, we could cook here and we, uh, in the outdoor kitchen or inside, whatever. Oh, we'll be, uh, oh this is going to be good. Is Ed going to come and be the DJ while we do this? That's the real question. Uh, you know, he has some good music, but he has some shitty music as well. <laughs> oh, <laughs> shots fired! You know what? I, I'll make sure uh, I'll make sure Eddie comes down, and I'll bring some of the guys like Brent and uh, Bibbs and Sherco and Bryant. Uh, maybe we can all get together. That'd be a fun time. Can you do me a solid and bring a D lineman? I don't know. I can't be by myself and be the only D lineman there. I'm the shortest one. In- we don't like those fucking guys, bro. That's fine. I, I never liked you guys either. It's totally okay. And those are two things I didn't think were going to happen here were criticism of Ed Reed's playlists and the mayonnaise and Cool Whip tips. <laughs> you know you're going to fucking try it, Nick. 
Well, he went to Belen, so you never know what's possible there. Who knows? Men for others. And make sure, and make sure it's not spicy mayonnaise, fucker. <laughs> None of that sriracha mayo. Uh, so with on that note, uh, this has been Pancom Podcast. You can find us at dademag.com slash Podcast. Look for Pancom Podcast wherever it is that you listen to things. It's a podcast sandwich. Uh, you can find us on social media, on all of the social media things, at Pancong Podcast. Uh, this has been Pancom Podcast with special guest Joaquin Gonzalez. Thank you, Joaquin, man. I really appreciate it. You're the man. Thank you so much for this. Thank you, brother. Bye-bye.